other uh, Marky Mark films? Marky, okay, I'll look back on Marky Mark. Should probably finish up talking about that. Well, just the other guys, you know. I just think that film is terrific. Oh, um, hell yeah. It's uh, kind of like... Well, I could use that to segue into something else. So, like, obviously, um, you know, well, I mentioned in a previous episode I did not care for his latest film, Don't Look Up. But Adam McKay... Mm has made some very good work in the past. For example, the other guys. Uh, and so I heard, I kept hearing Adam McKay's new series about the Lakers or some kind of American sports team <laughs> that I know about through peop- uh, it being a word people say in TV shows yeah. and films. Uh, so I kept hearing about like, Adam Adam McKay's new show about the birth of the Lakers and the golden age of the fucking sport. I'm I don't know about that stuff. Anyway, I heard about that. I was like, "Oh, this is interesting." I looked at, I looked at the actual like list of episodes. He didn't write any of them, and he directed the first one. And I'm like, <laughs> "This is a TV show." Which yes, Adam McKay is clearly involved with to some extent, but it's not Adam McKay's show. By that, yeah. by that definition, Succession is also Adam McKay's show because he directed one episode of that. Eastbound and Down, Adam McKay directed one episode of. Is, is that his show <laughs> rather than Danny McBride and Jodie Hills? Anyway, I'm getting annoyed. I'm annoyed about this because I was never that likely to watch that one anyway because it's about some like sports stuff. I don't understand some American sure, sports yeah. stuff. I mean, to be honest, I'm probably more likely to watch something about American sport than British sport. But um like <laughs> there was the same thing with this new new HBO show or HBO Max show because I had to fucking pirate it. It wasn't on uh, Now TV. <laughs> Tokyo Vice. Oh yeah, I, I've not really heard of that. Well, you'll, you it stars um, Baby Driver star and uh, accused rapist Ansel <laughs> Ansel Elgort, uh, not Kevin Spacey. It's not a Spacey comeback. Oh, oh, okay. Uh, no, I, I the, literally the thought guy, that's where you were going. The, the main guy, no, Kevin Spacey is, is not get. He's still not getting work. Well, from that right. that one film by like uh, the guy who played the original Django. <laughs> 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 Uh, I don't know if that's out yet. Uh, mm. By the way, big news: uh, John Cleese is starring in Roman Polanski's next film. <laughs> <laughs> great, great, that's Church, uh, bro. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> fuck. Where were we? No, no, no. The main guy in in um the main guy in baby in baby yeah, driver. The young guy sure, has sure. been accused of some shit. Okay. Uh, yeah. Not stop. Didn't stop Spielberg casting him in West Side Story. Didn't stop this show casting him. Uh, and some people might say didn't stop Michael Mann casting him because you're seeing a lot of stuff about how Tokyo Vice is the new show from Michael Mann. Obviously, Michael Mann uh, was the executive producer. He was basically the showrunner of Miami Vice. In the 1980s, so oh, yeah, yeah. he does sure, have some pedigree sense. for actually running a television show. I think he directed um, multiple episodes of um, David Milch, the creator of Deadwood's show Luck, which was a show about horse racing that got cancelled because so many horses died in the making of it. <laughs> ah, fuck. Mm. <laughs> it's supposed to be really good, actually. Uh, Dustin Hoffman and Nick Nolte are in it. Uh, 
Nice. But yeah, uh, but no, even that, that's clearly David Milch's show, not Michael Mann's show. Anyway, with this, right. everyone built it up so much. Like even, of course, Michael Mann did then the Miami Vice film in 2006. And so they were like, Michael Mann returns to television with Miami, with Tokyo Vice, the new show from Michael Mann. Michael Mann, blah, blah, blah. And then they put out the first two episodes of the show. And the second one isn't even directed by Michael Mann. And then you look at the list of episodes. And they just hired him to direct the pilot. He wasn't like even involved in the show at all. And it's just like, <laughs> this is like... <laughs> yeah. I mean, honestly, it seems like a good show. The second episode was good as well, like in terms of it's story. It's just misleading marketing, really. But the first episode was the one that had like that flair to it. That felt like, oh my god, this is just like, you know, the Michael Mann who we haven't seen on television or the big screen since Black Hat in 2015, where Chris Hemsworth improbably played a hacker, you know? Uh, yeah. Which was not the best film, but it when some, when a director I like makes a film that's not great, you know, I just want to see the next one. So that's, that's why it's a shame that the next one hasn't emerged. But yeah, the first episode of Tokyo Vice is, um, is pretty interesting. Uh, features a guy like setting fire to himself at one point. Lots of very striking visuals. Lots of use of I negative love fire. space. Yeah, yes, indeed. Uh, this is like it's like it's a very like Japanese thing. He does it like out of his humiliation that he can't pay the yakuza, something like that. That's pretty Japanese sounding. It's, yep. it's like yeah, that's hardcore uh, Japanese culture there but uh yeah it's pretty interesting because like ansel elgort uh if that's his name <laughs> if that even is his name uh he he <laughs> plays like this young american guy who goes over to japan and becomes like a sort of beat reporter uh for the first american to work at the prestigious tokyo newspaper blah 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 blah, blah. but then uh he, but what he really wants to investigate is the yakuza and uh, he like make friend makes friends with uh, a cop played by the great Ken Watanabe, who is a kind of a you nice. know a classic like hardened uh, veteran police officer who uh, kind of tells him about how like there's no murder in Japan, there are just uh, deaths. Somebody died. You can't you cannot write somebody was killed. The investigation may conclude that they were not killed, but but died by their own volition. I, you know, didn't really understand yeah. what it was about, but like I was like writing a song, uh, but I wasn't writing it in like I was sitting down with a clear thought and like writing it all together. I like made a backing track, and then I was like, "Fuck, I need to just put some lyrics on this to see what what it sounds like with lyrics." So I just wrote some nonsense and like included the phrase "no murder in Japan." Like wrote it around <laughs> that because I thought it sounded cool. Anyway, that's my review of Tokyo Vice, the new show, not really from Michael Mann. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, I I hate that kind of marketing shit. Just such a lie, really. Uh, false news. False news, yes, or just capital's inevitable desire to sell more for less. Yeah. It seems like it, it kind of transpired kind of organically. Like, the show was being produced. It was called Tokyo Vice already. And they were just like, well, who do we want to direct the pilot? 
Well, how about Michael Mann? I mean, it would seem like an obvious choice if you're like making some. That in itself is fair. I'm more on about just marketing it as Michael Mann's new show. Exactly, because like that was a conscious decision. Everything I heard about it made it seem like this was going to be like some prime Michael Mann, like he'd be directing the whole season or something. Yeah, I'm disappointed. But I, oh, I should say though, yeah, it was actually good. I did, I did actually enjoy. Yeah, the show. it does sound decent still. Yeah, yeah, and of course, Better Call Saul is back on the television, which I oh, is it? Was... Okay, I, I assumed you just because you said you wa- were watching it, but I assumed you were just rewatching. I started a rewatch to catch up, and then the new the new series dropped. Um, oh, excellent! I have to get downloading that. But uh, yeah, they were good. They were they were good. It's like. I am slightly confused about the timeline of the show, because um, like a lot has got to happen for to get from where we are in the show. Um, right, right. Uh, to, I was even where... thinking that at the end of the last season. Yeah, like, to where wow, we are. It's a lot to Bad, do. You know. Yeah. Because they, they, they said uh, that like walt and jesse will be appearing in the season the series like brian cranston and aaron paul uh yeah and like we can't seriously be like by the end of this one season at the point where like those two are active in the meth business because like saul like jimmy has barely fucking started calling himself saul it's been like a couple (laughs) of seasons of this He's he he's only just become a cartel lawyer. Uh, he's still like not like officially really representing like Mike or the Fring organization or anything. I don't think. Um, no, they're they're kind of in each other's orbit almost, but not not fully interacting. And and it's true right. that maybe in Breaking Bad, uh, Saul would not be revealing like his inner life to his customers but that said Saul in Breaking Bad is a, a grotesque character he seems just spectacularly immoral uh, 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 uh opportunistic uh cynical and conniving compared even to the the slipping Jimmy depicted oh, in yeah. Better Call Saul. Uh, there there has clearly been a massive uh, transformation between where we are now, uh, and where where we where it gets to, uh, in in Better Call Saul. Uh, so, yeah, and where 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 he is at the start of like season two, episode whatever, or season three or whatever it was of Breaking Bad. Yeah, well. Having seen none of this new season, I feel like the obvious conclusion is that Kim's got to leave him, and that's going to like destroy him, right? Yeah. Uh, and, and and he's probably going to fuck up his current legal job somehow, just totally fuck it up, probably by being too greasy, and and then just have to start from scratch, kind of. And I guess they're going to accomplish that with some kind of time jump at some point. But I, you're right; it's still yeah, a long maybe. narrative to fit in. Yeah, that that could be it. Also, it wouldn't be thinking... the first time that they've done like either a time jump or like going back in time a bit. And yeah, 
isn't Bob Odenkirk like sixty now as well? And he's pl- he's playing much younger. Yeah, he, he is sixty up there, this yeah. year. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And <laughs> and so you you do have that weird thing of like you know. M- Jonathan this Banks, is before he was younger. Jonathan yeah. Banks, has, uh, who plays Mike, has never had a pretty face. But if you, <laughs> if you go back to uh, the, the his early appearances in Breaking Bad, you know he 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 looks like he's been basking in the fountain of youth compared to <laughs> how he looks in Better Call Saul, which is a, a prequel. You obviously you had that with El Camino, where everyone yeah. looks so much older. Like like uh, fucking uh, you compare. Uh, Jesse Plemons, who's obviously a great actor, to uh, how he looks now with how he did when you know everyone was like, "Who's this young kid who looks like Matt Damon?" <laughs> you know, it's wild. He doesn't get the Damon true. Thing At anymore. least that wasn't a prequel. That was kind of like an interquel. That's true, but it was set like from yeah, the, it's still it, noticeable, it, it but not as much minute. as Better Call Saul. I yeah, think. yeah, yeah. That's true. Oh, but it, it did have a bunch of flashbacks uh, to like time Fair. times yeah, yeah. that we've seen before, where everyone looked much younger. But you know, you got to suspend disbelief, haven't you? Like we know, we know, yeah. what, we know we're following a fictitious narrative, so it's like. You know, and if you do watch it in it. order, it's a lot less noticeable just because you're kind of watching them slowly age throughout. You know, it would be much crazier if you started with Better Call Saul and then watched Breaking Bad. You'd be like, what? oh, I thought you meant in chronological <laughs> order of the narrative. Yeah, no, yeah, no, yeah, I, no, I meant in order they were in released. Order of in release. order of release. Yeah, you're, you're right. Told, yeah, exactly. Yeah. No, it's funny. I be, I have to say, like watching um a bit of Breaking Bad. Because, like, the first couple of seasons of Better Call Saul are, are good, but they, like, don't quite deliver on that, like, mad level of, like, all the meth stuff. <laughs> you know, like, they're, they're really good drama. Hmm. There's, like, not quite as much. It, it's like, a bit of a slow burn, the yeah, first couple of seasons. There's not quite as much, like, hard crime. There's like there is Especially some Especially since there's, like, half as many episodes in the first season as the later seasons. Mm. So that one just kind of goes in a blink. You're like, w- that was the whole season? Okay. Oh, do you season mean Breaking two? Bad? Oh, sorry. Yeah, I thought you were yeah, talking Breaking about Breaking Bad. Breaking Bad does have a very a very early scene. But t- to be honest, like, actually, that's that's the thing. I don't know if I've gone back and watched, like, the, the first couple of seasons of Breaking Bad. Because uh, what I did, re- weirdly, I watched all of Better Call Saul in reverse order. Not episode by episode, <laughs> but season by season. Season by season, right, right. I was right, like, right, right, so what happened most recently? And then what happened before that? And then what happened before that? But I don't think I got back to the start. And I think it's the same with Breaking Bad. Because I think like it, it's it's good from the start, but it like really gets like mad when Saul appears I think like Bob Odenkirk is an instant presence in the show like he as soon as they've got him he becomes like one of the main characters because he's just so fucking funny um yeah and in both shows cases the stakes just get so much higher in the later seasons yeah exactly um but he like I say he is He's like a complex character, you know, he's morally ambiguous in Better Call Saul, and he's just a straight up piece of shit in Breaking Bad, <laughs> and I really want to see how that happens. I mean, he's already, he's pretty much yeah, like... Yeah, still, like, he's still got some complexity in Breaking Bad, but he's a monster. You know? Yeah, I mean, he's like, 
now in Better Call Saul, he's a friend of the cartel. But he's not really a friend of the cartel, because, like, Gus Fring is also using him and stuff. But, I mean, being caught between, like, the cartel and the Fring organisation is, like, if that's... If anything's going to turn you into a fucking monster, I mean... Yeah. That kind of company <laughs> to keep is 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 pretty bad. Um, <laughs> the first time you meet Saul in in Breaking Bad, uh, it's when like Badger gets arrested for uh, for <laughs> selling meth, and uh, he sells meth to a cop, and this guy is like, "Hey, you know, I've got to tell you if I'm a cop. Uh, y- you know, I've got you know, <laughs> yeah." Uh, he's like, "Ask me if I'm a cop." And if I am a cop, I legally have to say yes. And he's like, are you a cop? He's like, no. Okay, here's your meth. And then Benny arrests him, obviously. And like, <laughs> yeah. um... <laughs> but, oh, shit. What is it? Um, but like, uh... Saul comes in and he starts like, uh... Being like, why do you have to get your dick out there or whatever? Like, why can't... Yeah, no, he's like, why can't you masturbate in the comfort of your own home like the rest of us? Why are you <laughs> got to be jacking off, like, in broad daylight? Uh, and and then Badger's like, I don't know what you're talking about, man. Who are you? And he's like, oh, sorry, it must be... you're the meth case. <laughs> it's actually really similar, like, one... <laughs> I f- forget how early on it is. It may be in season one. Uh, of, of Yeah, I think it is in season one of Better Call Saul, actually. It may even be the first time that you get to see Jimmy in court. He's like, this is a travesty of justice, ma'am. I cannot... Th- this would be an affront to everything we hold dear if these poor young men's lives were ruined <laughs> over an adolescent mistake. And then, like, it's revealed that these young guys, like dug up a corpse and fucked it on video or something (laughs) (laughs) and it's so so it's actually i wonder if that was a conscious reference to uh to like show the kind of like debased characters that saul slash jimmy uh winds up defending yeah that's a good point That, that, that that might well be connected (laughs) uh it it is thematically yeah i mean i think it's just a very good uh like extended universe i guess like just just kind of like set of shows and and film like uh but if you just think about like the amount of like iconic characters that they've given us it's it's pretty it's pretty great you know like there's a lot of very very rich characters like gus and mike and uh Lalo, he's like the latest addition. He's like a fucking sick character, just like so confident. Yeah. Uh so slick, so carefree, and so evil. Uh a brilliant, brilliant character. Um, you know. And then just like random people like uh Mark Proch, who's like part of the on cinema extended universe again. Like he he appears in it. I completely forgot that. And um, uh, remember that weird uh, guy uh, who Jesse kills in uh, Breaking Bad, and then he feels like super bad about killing him. Um, but who's like yeah. he's like Walt's uh, assistant meth chef. Who Walt like Walt feels like intellectually intimidated by him, so he gets Jesse back. <laughs> 
Gail Benneke, yeah. that's it. Yeah, that Gail, yes, great, great yes. character. Like not very, not very long lasting, but just like this, like weird dude who like runs around like singing musical theater as he like devises the perfect formula for meth. Yeah, definitely <laughs> an interesting character. Yeah, nah, that's it's it, it it's a bunch of really good stuff. But yeah, on Breaking Bad, like I really hate Walt so much. Uh, and I think you're supposed to. I think I th- I'm, pre- yeah. I'm pretty sure because like they because uh, remember at the time like everyone was like, oh man, Walt's so cool. Why won't his bitch yeah. wife just let him cook meth and kill people and shit? <laughs> like, and and I think like yeah, Skylar is is uh, is a pretty unpleasant character in her own way as well. But like compared to her husband, come on, like fucking Walt yeah. is just like the most unpleasant, like conceited like arrogant bitter fucking like selfish cunts like he just like is so uh like angry all the time at everyone and like cannot he there's no like joy or levity to him at any point like he's there's some real raging against his mortality throughout the whole thing just this constant bitterness. That's true. Yeah, yeah. I, d- I mean, is he? I don't even know if he's. Well, not conscious. Like, like, he's not usually talking about dying, but it's impossible to read the story without considering the fact that he is terminally ill. Yeah. And, and he's, he wants to do this big thing for his family or himself or whatever before he dies and it's like this there's a clock you know yeah tick tick ticking and he and you could tell he's yeah he's just so fucking bitter that he didn't smoke he lived a clean life and here he is with lung cancer uh dying yeah yeah exactly um yeah and I, I, you know just like the way he treats jesse just like yeah. the only times he's ever nice to Jesse is to manipulate him. Um, yep. And it's just like, um, you know, what he's one of the most unpleasant characters in television history, legitimately. <laughs> uh, and, and yeah, so it's like amazing, you know, well done to Brian Cranston for like really uh winning so many people's hearts by just playing such like a, an abhorrent man <laughs> because uh, <laughs> like yeah we all love brian cranston he seems very nice himself um but everyone just mostly knows him as like this scowling bald prick <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah it's a real trip after watching malcolm in the middle uh, yeah i guess he was known for that bumbling first, dad yeah yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but it's amazing. But I don't think that had as much of an audience outside the US as like Breaking Bad did. Just this thing, like bald- probably even inside the US. Boldness yeah. is evil. <laughs> <laughs> well, it made him look extremely different from his character. Yeah, yeah, but it does so make that, him look like helps. satanic, like bald with the beard. Like uh- when I went bald for a while, like yeah, people were like afraid of me and shit <laughs> oh god the bald person oh my god what's he gonna do <laughs> uh, but yeah like um no no i i it's it's a good show man it's a good show <laughs> yeah totally totally i've got to catch up <laughs> Thank you.
Um, so, like, I basically, like, watched a bunch of films that I'd seen before around ten years ago. Um, which basically had a broad theme of, like liberal american imperialism oh yes wholesome 100 percent. let's do this <laughs> well, well not necessarily american like you could also western yeah you could also have like uh you know something paying tribute to the ingenuity uh and 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 at, at times uh brutality of the uh israeli secret services so that, I mean, oh, true heroes. Well, yeah, yeah that's nice because you get a lot about American CIA agents, FBI agents, soldiers, blah blah blah. But you don't get to hear in American cinema about the Israeli ones. I want to know what other cops are up to. Well, the Israeli ones, in many cases, are doing a lot of the same things as the American ones. <laughs> oh yes, I- I'm sure that that one learned from the other. Well, that was... Uh, you're not allowed to say that in the Labour Party these days. Um, it's like Maxine Peake said in an interview that, that like, the cops who'd killed George Floyd... Uh, she's a British actress. Uh, she's big, big socialist and Corbyn supporter. She said that, basically, that the cops who killed George Floyd used techniques like of, like, kneeling on the guy and that that they'd learned from seminars given by the Israeli intel- the, in- the Israeli police or the IDF or Shin Bet or Mossad or whichever oh, nice. fucking one it was. Yeah, apparently this wasn't like specifically factually true about that, those, the cops who killed George Floyd by kneeling on him. But this definitely is a thing that happens and they do teach from techniques I'm sure like there's that. a mutual interchange between the two. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, Rebecca Long Bailey tweeted who was at the time Keir Starmer's Shadow Education Secretary tweeted this article out like Maxine Peake is a diamond. And I should say that this one quote about Israel was just like a whole thing in an interview that was like mostly about her films and shit. <laughs> and like, uh, and, and just like for saying this one thing, like, I just like woke up to this headline like, Rebecca Long Bailey sacked by Keir Starmer, blah, 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 anti Semitism, blah, blah, blah. It is, actually, <laughs> it is actually the most insane thing. That was like before he fucking suspended Corbyn from the party and that, but that was like when it was like, okay, Jeez. this guy does not give a fuck. <laughs> this guy... Any criticism of the state of Israel at all, just boom, jump on it. He did one of like those groveling little interviews with like the British Jewish community papers where he was like, I'm so sorry for working with Jeremy Corbyn, blah, blah, blah. And, like, um, the, the guy who... I think it was that cunt Lee Harpin, who's just, like, the biggest cunt, like, just, like, 56-year-old man spends his, his life, like, trawling... Mossad have cut my fuck... have cut Skype. Mossad have fucked up Skype. Hello. Hello. Yeah. Sorry, it just booted me off from when I was, yeah. I was midstream. <laughs> Mad how that happens when you're talking about Israel and that, isn't it? It's almost like it's... <laughs> <laughs> who's pulling to the, the IDF agents listening. <laughs> um. Yeah. Anyway. Uh, yeah. Sorry, I was just saying like uh, that that cunt Lee Harpin who like spends his time like trawling the fucking Facebook pages of leftists himself, like looking for fucking. Uh, 
you know, comments they made about, well, about Israel being an apartheid state or something. Because he asked, <laughs> um, probably wanking over their pictures too, I assume. And he asked uh, Keir Starmer, Amnesty International recently published a report that said that Israel is a, is a, an apartheid state. Do you agree with this? And Starmer was like, no, I do not agree with that. <laughs> so Labour is just, uh, the Labour Party is just presently like, Amnesty International don't know shit about human rights. Uh, <laughs> just full on head in sand. Yep. Yeah, Israel is not an apartheid state. Like, I mean, come on. He he was he was like that is not my position and it is not the position of a party. It's like a lot of people pointing out actually it is the position of a party for Israel is an apartheid state because that was what was ratified at Labour conference last year, voted upon by the membership. <laughs> However, to those well-intentioned people pointing that out, I would say yeah, but also that doesn't count for fucking fuck all in the Keir Starmer Labour yeah. Party. Like, this is not a d- democratic party. So what Keir Starmer says actually is the position of the Labour Party, I'm afraid. Yeah. Uh, the weaknesses of liberal democracy, yep. Yeah, well, it'd be nice to have a bit of liberal democracy. I don't think liberals who support democracy the liberal should be okay with fucking well i just mean in terms of like basic like oh yeah amnesty international know their stuff about international law i guess yeah apartheid probably bad we should probably recognize it that's i think like yeah. if you're a liberal who cares about democracy uh i'd like to hear a bit of that from you you know <laughs> that kind of stuff like that just seems like basic shit you're right <laughs> of course you're right it's obviously a contradiction but like that's the nature of liberalism, yeah, that's isn't not it? what libs are like, really. Generally, you scratch a lib and you know, get a saying, yeah, <laughs> 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 exactly. <laughs> oh, dear. yeah, yeah, anyway. Sorry, just uh, had to rant about Israel and Starmer and stuff a bit there. <laughs> Such is the way, like, ancient Corbyn supporter adage. Sorry, had to rant a bit about Israel and Starmer. <laughs> It's all part of that materialist analysis, bro. It's got to come down to that. Yeah. <laughs> um, my materialist analysis is Starmer can suck my fucking material. I don't think that's an expression, but I've just been been coming up with a Coin lot, of, a lot of crude like such and such can suck my dick things like recently. There was because like there was that. Um, should get back into rapping. There was that thing of like uh, <laughs> all the centrists are saying that like the anti-war left give sucker to terrorists. I'm like, you can give sucker to these nuts. <laughs> 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 and there's another one that I forget right now. Um, yeah, I forgot. I can't remember. It was very crude. Oh uh, well. Yeah, we're not having politics chats. Uh, what did I watch? Yeah, I watched the Jimmy Sam, uh, the Jimmy Starmer. But <laughs> <laughs> I watched the Jimmy Savile documentary on Netflix. Just the nonciest of nonces. Yeah. No mention of Keir Starmer whatsoever. <laughs> Just a load <laughs> of shit. I, I I do have a serious point on the Jimmy Savile documentary front, actually, which is like. I think that there's kind of a limit to the utility of of uh, victim-based narratives, if you know what I'm saying. Like, mm. I think it's important for the victims themselves, and thus it searches it, it. It provides a certain utility 
for them to be able to tell their stories. But, like, I feel like there's a a limit to, um, like, how edifying it is to hear, like, the actual details of the acts of, right, of somebody right. like uh like Jim, like it's useful from a legal perspective for sure it's it's useful to yeah like you say share their story but absolutely and it can it can be very intense as an audience in a documentary it's yeah and it's not uh, even that it's not so much like a, a like a triggering thing because i i think like if you're watching a documentary on like sexual abuse and you're gonna sure. you're gonna be triggered <laughs> like by something like that you know you should you should be watching a different documentary so it's it's not that i'm so concerned on that level but um it, it it's more that I, I i think yeah there's a point at which that becomes i i i feel like yes it's probably good for stuff out there but when you're like cherry picking a uh a certain amount of material for a documentary because it's always going to be a selective account you can never cover a whole story within that mm. kind of framework uh but you're making these kind of editorial decisions there's understandably like a really um well-intentioned uh kind of like uh inclination to put the victims and their stories first uh, and I don't think they actually did really go overboard with it in this Jimmy Savile documentary, but it was only like two, three episodes long. Um, and I feel like you, you... No, it's a good point. And I think you brought this up during the when we were talking about the Epstein doc as well. You only need to know the broad strokes. Like, he committed sexual crimes. You don't necessarily need every uh, detail of what there were, whilst it does being able to be open about it undoubtedly provide a kind of therapeutic service for the victims themselves. But in terms of pure, uh, the documentary uh, informing you on the issue, I think something, and I think I probably did say this about uh, Epstein as well, yeah, that it, it would be more interesting to talk about uh, how ensconced he was in the establishment and how actually mm. that can kind of that network can be maintained because there was cl- and they talk about this you know you have all the local police officers round uh round for for dinner or whatever he they uh he, he'd have like all the local he- chiefs of police round at his house or right <laughs> and the problem is that that's just an instructive anecdote it doesn't it, it doesn't provide uh, you know, kind of like a real factual account of how did Jimmy Savile interact with the police beyond that kind of superficial uh, level of friendship. Like, you see, uh, you know, you, you you see these documents that reveal that he was basically um, an unofficial advisor to Prince Charles for a long time on any number of issues. That's the guy who, you know, if he lives long enough, considering the Queen's longevity, could be the next king of uh, king of England. Uh, and like, mm. basically, you know, like how uh, and how does that dynamic work? It would be good to like, and I imagine there's a bit of a wall of silence, and you can't you can't say like 
Prince Charles knew what he was doing. Obviously, you can't say that because of, like, British libel law. I bet, like, the royal family (laughs) have the best fucking lawyers around. But, like, um, I I would like to see more of this, like, macro granular level in these kind of documentaries because an establishment paedophile is not just... It's not just a paedophile. I mean, obviously, there's Prince Andrew. <laughs> well, exactly, and Prince Andrew appears in a, in in uh, yeah the Netflix stuff quite a bit. But honestly, Prince Charles. Not saying obviously they knew. Prince Charles has, <laughs> but who's cons- suspicious? No, I know, but Prince Charles has <laughs> actually considerably stronger links with uh, Jimmy Savile than even <laughs> Prince Andrew uh, did with Epstein. It's extraordinary. Um. And 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 so yeah, so I was saying like an establishment paedophile like Savile, like Epstein, that these people are at the base of it, they're disgusting, seedy criminal pieces of shit. But they're not just a paedophile; they're a member of the establishment. So so it's like the the, the horror of their actual crimes is not the main story. That it becomes... It's an act of class war, it, really, Yeah, it becomes secondary to the fact that these people are... Uh, I, I don't want to get a bit corny and say a product of a society that, that, that creates them like that, because that just, you know, just makes me think of, like, fucking... Kind of lets them off the hook a it little bit. It lets there. me think of... Well, not so much that, but it just makes me think of Joker. <laughs> like right, just like yeah. you know, these people that but just society made them this way you know they it's just a re- I mean, society makes everybody if you have a materialist look on life really that's true but it's more about that society sustains them yeah society props them up and i'd like to i'd like to know more how how does that function like how what are the like layers of uh secrecy and uh uh, deceit uh, that go must go on at such an industrial scale to perpetuate uh, something mm. like this. You know, it would be interesting to see a documentary that really dove into how money and power intersects and how that intersection is a breeding ground for horrible abuses along the lines of pedophilia or whatever else, you know? Yeah, yeah, totally. Like, reclaim that shit from the QAnon people, because they've seized on something oh, yeah. that's real <laughs> uh, and made it, uh, and embellished it with a considerable amount of fantasy. <laughs> uh, and somehow ignored all the blatant pedophiles in the Republican Party. Yeah, too. yeah, that is, that is true, yeah. <laughs> like, they say people like George Bush are a pedophile, but then ignore Trump and, like, uh, Gates's connections to uh, such things. Oh, yeah. It's weird. It's very weird and inconsistent. Matt Gates like mirror image Mike Gates <laughs> <laughs> he, yeah he's the American one <laughs> <laughs> wait before we even got on to uh, were we talking about Munich before we started talking about Israel I don't think so I, I, I think we got on to Israel from talking about neoliberalism I don't even know. But I don't think it was Munich. <laughs> but what, what have you got to say about it? <laughs> oh, not very much. I mean, it's kind of funny that uh, Daniel Craig is Israeli in it. I mean, I don't know. 
<laughs> yeah, yeah, kind of. Because generally, I, I think I might have said on one of our Bond episodes, we will complete the series. Maybe when I get Tom down to the <laughs> house at some point, we'll get you on the line and we'll do it then. I'll force him. <laughs> yeah, that'd be good. Yeah, although I rewatched so many of those films and I had all the ideas swirling around in my head and now I've forgotten them all. <laughs> um, <laughs> but yeah, um... That film's pretty good. They have, they have. <laughs> I know it. I don't know if it is. It's like competently made. Well, you always say that it left you feeling cold, kind of. It did. You know? It did leave me cold, but that. I mean, that didn't mean like it left me with a chill. Like, how do, how can mm. they do? How can the Israelis do this? <laughs> it, as in, it left me cold. As in, it it didn't particularly move me. I thought like it's just not a very emotional film, is it? Yeah, I've only seen it once. No, it's years not. Ago, I mean, but... and that's by design. Spielberg approaches it in the kind of coldest, uh, to use to reuse a phrase, historical fashion that he can. Um, it has some bits in it that I think, yeah, come on. Like, there's this bit where like they're gonna blow up uh, this like terrorist-linked academic. They're gonna blow up like i'm trying to think someone like who who who's like a left-wing academic that i know like uh, <laughs> i'm completely drawing a blank on left-wing academics uh at least two i'd feel comfortable enough talking about this anyway uh they're gonna blow up their apartment <laughs> so so they're like wait waiting outside um you know to do the explosion and then they call up the apartment and this little girl answers and she's like, hello, my daddy's not here. And they're like, oh, shit. And so, like, um, Daniel Craig or Eric Banner or one of them, like, runs along to the car where they've got the, like, detonator. And he's like, no, don't. And I'm like, fuck off, Woody. And made sure that that little girl was out of the apartment. <laughs> no, because I think <laughs> I think the guy, her, her dad, I, I think the guy actually is in there as well. So they, they, they're all ready to go. But like, yeah, they, they, they don't kill this guy because they would also kill a little child. Uh, yeah. <laughs> we know the IDF cares a lot about collateral. Yeah, uh, come on. <laughs> Let's get fucking real here. <laughs> um... Yeah, but I was like watching a bunch of films like that, films about spooks and spies and uh, <laughs> having my own veritable Halloween, you know, up here with all the spooks. Uh, <laughs> I watched um, Argo, where Ben Affleck, I like Affleck, another another strong Boston, Boston strong kind of character. Bostonite. Exactly. Um <laughs> Yeah, I wa- I watched Argo, and uh, I'd, I'd again I'd seen it in 2012 Oscar season. Uh, Same, yeah. <laughs> uh, and you know what? It's all right. I don't necessarily agree with the politics. I don't think it necessarily has a sophisticated left wing anti imperialist take. Yeah, on the Iranian hostage But it's crisis. not an incompetent film. No, or it's not. It does, by the way, mention in a caption at the start that it was uh, the U.S. who toppled Mossadegh in Iran and re- replaced him with a uh, an intolerant religious regime. So it do- it does like <laughs> you know point out at the start uh, the CIA kind of uh, created this mess. But 
Not flawless good guys. No, but then it has this one CIA agent in it, played by Affleck, who's just like a sick... This one's He's just right. a sick guy, yeah. yeah, exactly. And he comes up with this like, genius idea. I don't need to explain the plot of Affleck. They- it's the nature <laughs> of establishment films, how yeah. they always have the... Even if they're anti-establishment, they're always about this one good FBI agent, or yeah. this one good local cop who just wants to set the department straight. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's yeah. a pretty solid film. They've got, uh, you know, Alan Arkin. Um, is it Alan? Yeah, it is Alan Arkin, isn't it? Not Al- not Alan Alder. Um, yeah, they've got... I'm not sure. They've got him, and they've got John Goodman. Um, just good people you like to see, you know? Like, yeah. You just like to hang out, vibe with these people. Um and the other one I watched was Zero Dark Thirty, which is like a lengthy film. I actually found it it wasn't that boring until they actually go after Bin Laden and it's like the most muted, like uncinematic, <laughs> like we're doing this like as respectful as we could. It would be un American to make this exciting. <laughs> the fir- but the first two hours or so where she's just like torturing people and shit, that's it's good good uh, cinema. You know? <laughs> like good politics. Oh no yes. yeah, okay. Uh no. Not good no, politics. Shockingly but... <laughs> bad. Yeah, but... <laughs> no. Yeah, that that's the thing. Like there's this bit like who plays uh the other torturer? It's like is it Jason Clark? Yeah. Yeah, Jason Clark plays like the main quote unquote interrogator. Uh and they're talk there's this bit where like later on um she uh, like Jessica Chastain's character and uh his character they're in like some uh committee meeting or something where they're talking about quote unquote UBL and how they're gonna take him down. And um like uh he says this thing where she's talking about some intelligence but she's like gleaned in the torture chambers and he's like <laughs> i've been inside those rooms i know what she's saying is correct and it's like very it's, i just found it amusingly <laughs> euphemistic like i've been inside those rooms like were you the one being tortured <laughs> nope were you witnessing the torture nope so you were, yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's, yeah, he he certainly has been inside those rooms, as uh, have the people. The people being kept in them for very, very long periods of time uh, that uh, are in contravention of international law. Um, Often on quite flimsy evidence, yes. Yeah, but I like that whole kind of like procedural thing. Uh, but for the first, the first section of the movie does where it's just all of, all about. I'm sure it is quite factually accurate regarding like what details went down. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, the, well, the ones that the CIA want you to know anyway, because they <laughs> yeah. they famously they uh, got them to fact check the script. Uh, oh, I'm course, sure they said that bit where we You don't get to make a film with their permission. That like bit that. where we do this bad thing, uh that's uh not accurate. Uh uh what oh what about the bit where you torture all these people? Uh no, that actually uh... <laughs> Well it sounds like they were more like, Oh, well the bad things they're actually good things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That that <laughs> it definitely happened. But you know, there's 
That shit we don't even know about, man. Yeah, who who knows what we don't know? Yeah, yeah. exactly. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, d- I don't think it's a bad film at all. I think it's such a bullshit cop-out ending where, like, Jessica Chastain just, just like, cries. <laughs> she just, like, sits on, <laughs> sits on uh, this, like, aeroplane uh, or helicopter, like, all on her own and cries. Uh, and it's like, oh yeah, because like the terrorists have like killed all her friends and stuff, and she's she's put so much into this, and she doesn't know what to do. And I'm like, did uh, 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 did nobody uh, consider the impact of the war on terror on this CIA agent's emotional labor? Like, <laughs> <laughs> who will think of this person? Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so that I uh, that made me laugh a bit the ending, but I don't think it's an altogether bad film. Right. With the caveat that not it, not, it's, not a morally sound. No, film, its depiction of torture is yeah. like uh, it goes beyond the film being standard issue apolog- uh, ap- apologia for American imperialism. Uh, and straight up, like, shades it into just really, really uh, questionable depiction of uh, torture per se. Like, whatever your views on America, uh, I think it's problematic <laughs> on the torture front. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 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 that's fair, really. Uh, yeah, when When it's basically just arguing that, yeah, torture works. It's necessary sometimes. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, and then, yeah, just like, oh, then they go, they torture. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. The, but the I other... feel so bad about all the oh, torture. Oh, they actually do that, man. There's this fucking scene <laughs> where uh, the first time that uh, Jessica Chastain goes in and watches uh, Jason Clark torture some guy in, like, the most horrible way, then they, like, briefly cut in a shot of her, like, crying in the shower. <laughs> I'm just like, fuck you. Fuck you. No, no, sorry. That that might be after, like, she goes in again and he's like, all right, I'm popping out for lunch. Can you torture this guy for me? <laughs> <laughs> great. great. Yeah. Oh, man. Uh, what fucking shit yeah fucking shit uh hail caesar uh still one of the best anti-communist films i've got to say <laughs> yeah yeah uh, i can second that it's really funny because it because it's not like hateful anti-communism it's like sending up communists as like bumbling and it's like taking the piss you know more, yeah. more than more <laughs> than like being like we're saying something profound like like armando inucci i mean i also i think there's some good stuff about the um the death of stalin but there's a bit more more hateful anti-communism to it in that inucci is just thinking like i'm really sticking it to jeremy corbyn and his fucking cult when i write this <laughs> stuff you know <laughs> but but and it's just factually i don't find it was not very accurate terribly so uh, didn't not that all, not that all comedy has to be, but I don't know. I yeah. feel with historical comedy, you got a certain duty. Yeah. to the past and like and when and when uh, you're kind of like trying to say like oh it's this like profound piece of satire and stuff. Really, it's about the modern day and Corbyn and yeah. Trump and stuff. And it's like, but you can't write about that stuff. You are unable to uh, satirize the modern day. 
And this is a kind of glorified displacement activity for that. Yeah. Like his his <laughs> new fucking space series. Some fucking shitty sitcom set in space with Hugh Laurie. I'm not saying uh, any sitcom set hmm. sitcom set in space is bad. I know you yourself uh, <laughs> yeah. turned your hand to that, but I but but this one is. Fair, fair, yeah, yeah. I'm just trying to think what 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 you're talking about. What show you're talking called, about? Like, it's not uh, called Avenue Q, but it's something like that. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Oh, since since I've been talking about all these films I've rewatched that I'd seen before, I mentioned to you that I rewatched Spike Lee's um, Inside Man. Which is oh yes, like the last um, studio film I think that Spike Lee made for a few years up until Black Klansman, and um, it's really good, really like deliriously entertaining. I mean, he has got so many fucking tricks. It's like a brilliant technician. But uh, there's just this random bit at the start which made me laugh where, like, <laughs> it's just so out of the blue and it kind of maybe foreshadows other elements of the story, but also not really. Like, so when the bank robbery is first happening, uh, they're like, get on the floor, get on the fucking floor now! Uh, and everyone gets on the floor apart from this one, like, Hasidic Jew. Uh and then they just go up to this one, uh, ob- this obstinate Jew, and they're just like, <laughs> same goes, uh, you get the same treatment as everyone else, rabbi, and just smack him. <laughs> <laughs> and it's just like this, this random bit of like, of like borderline anti-Semitism, like really early on in the film that has like, I mean, do you think that has any bearing to the story about how, like, uh, Christopher Plummer's character, uh, who owns the bank that's being robbed, his family got rich off Nazi gold? Can you uh... can you see how that foreshadowed? He like personally <laughs> sold out Jews and profited off them. Do you, do you think that that is a good? I don't see that. I, I I don't know. I mean, obviously there is a a tentative connection there. <laughs> That's all I could uh... think of as to how that isn't just like what. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, are, are are the people robbing the bank the good guys? N- not really, but I mean, like Clive Owen is uh, a pretty likable character in that. Like, it's pretty cool. Like he's delivering th- the whole like his voiceovers and shit from this little cell kind of thing and you're like is he in prison and then at the end you realize that he's like been hiding out for like an entire week after the bank robbery in the bank in a special chamber that you built <laughs> wild I-, I gotta check that out it's very yeah. twisty i've been meaning to rewatch malcolm x as well because that's on netflix and that's obviously spike lee nice Um, yeah i watched that like last year or so yeah yeah it's very good but i've not seen it in a few years yeah 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 well i think i've burned through a lot of stuff that i've watched do you have anything to uh that, that you feel the need to address uh well i haven't watched as much i've watched a few things though 
Um, what do you think would be, you know, RP material? I don't know. I don't know. Maybe I could quickly talk about the couple of Shakespeare things that I've okay, seen. Okay, yeah. Since I don't have tons to say about them, and we're already at the, like the two-hour mark. Yeah, but... yeah. You're thinking about that edit now. I get it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's already going to be like two episodes at least. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Got you. Uh, well, uh, yeah. So I I rewatched a couple films recently that I last saw like. 10 years ago or so so uh it's been a while and i just i mm-hmm. needed a refresher see see what i thought at the time and what i think now uh there's rosencrantz and gildenstern are dead never seen that um yeah which is based on a, a tom stoppard play mm. and it's it's one of those movies you can really tell like the way it's blocked and everything like it it feels like it was based on a play you know <laughs> there's not a lot of dynamic action sequences changing scenes it's just going two people on. no no okay. uh there, there's a whole cast and there is a little bit of like uh light sword play at a few times oh, as well <laughs> it's it's really nothing you would you wouldn't be able to see on a stage um, is it um tim roth and gary oldman yeah, yeah yeah that's right and uh yeah they they give good performances it's it's a very postmodern film very postmodern story it's sort of like i guess thematically it's like rosencrantz and gildenstern for those who don't know are these characters from hamlet who they're really big characters in like the first act or whatever it's been a while since i read hamlet uh, and then they kind of get sent off to go do off-screen stuff and then they never show up again <laughs> except at the end and, and some messenger guy comes and says do 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 rosencrantz and gildenstern are dead <laughs> that's great just like oh fuck i forgot about them and the play is premiering tonight <laughs> just giving the actor a piece of paper like say this <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> a quick patch by Bill, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so the the play takes on the idea of like what happens to characters when they're not in the main story, and like it's a lot of like, uh, do we really exist? What is the meaning of life? And like uh, a big thing that happens throughout the the story is uh, they find a coin at the very beginning and they flip it. And it keeps coming up heads just like hundreds and thousands of times in a row. And it's like, well, it can't be reality, surely, right? Because this doesn't make sense. And uh, yeah, so it's very postmodern and weird, but in a funny way, if you're into that kind of thing. It's interesting (laughs) to see um, somebody, um, you know, uh, extending the the Shakespeare franchise with... uh, a lesser known Shakespeare property, almost like the kind of Guardians of the Galaxy or something, but it's drawn <laughs> from a comic that nobody actually knows, but they're kind of grasping its draws now because they've already done all the famous ones. Uh, and it reminds me of how Orson Welles made his film Chimes at Midnight about Falstaff, who's just like the comedy fat man in loads of Shakespeare plays. <laughs> Oh yeah, <laughs> fun. <laughs> Obviously, Wells plays him himself. Uh, extremely fat, <laughs> fitting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
yeah, the Shakespeare cinematic universe. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Um, uh, no, it's cool though. We were talking about Shakespeare adaptations, and uh, one of my favorites is again to mention Orson Welles, his version of Macbeth, which has made super low budget, and he like made a bit of it one year, and then had to go back like five years later to f- finish the rest of it, <laughs> and like all the costumes change and stuff, and you know, the locations, <laughs> but it's fucking amazing. It's just like this amazing like gothic presentation. I highly recommend that for like a uh, an incredible feat of low budget guerrilla filmmaking. Great, yeah, yeah, it does sound cool. The other one you said you watched was Coriolanus by Rafe Fiennes. Yeah, did he actually direct yeah, it he as did, well? I, think. I know he's I know he stars in it. He directed uh, it, I think. <laughs> oh, interesting. He's a man of the theater, yeah. so I imagine he's done a lot of Shakespeare. That's probably it. Yes, yeah, yeah, and. uh yeah, no, I saw this originally way back in 2011 uh, at the, the the only film festival I've actually ever been to. Oh, yeah. Uh, it, it was one of the feature films. Like, I, It was pretty new then. And, I remember um, me, when I met you, you were talking about that, actually, and some of the shit you'd seen there. Really? Yeah, yeah, for no, sure. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I remember mentioning... I remember mentioning a few films to you. Mm. Yeah. Did you see uh, Bernie but, there uh, with Jack Black? I, that was the one in my head great <laughs> film man really really good yeah very funny dark yeah. love it um but coriolanus i uh yeah i remember not thinking too much of it at the time but i was also like i was 18 or 19 years old and mm. like i was very I, I was a film student like one of those very stereotypical film students where like I I feel like if I've seen anything similar at all, then like oh, this is derivative trash, kind of like very yeah. Uh, and and I just couldn't get past the fact that it was basically what if we set this Shakespeare play in a more modern sort of setting mm. uh, where they've got guns and stuff, and it's like it's been done a whole bunch of times with different yeah. plays like Romeo and Juliet, uh, and all a fellow yeah. with Lawrence Fishburne. There's O, yeah. <laughs> o, which is Tim Blake Nelson's film about a fellow, uh, but it's like a rap musical. <laughs> it's like a, co- a set on a college baseball team or some shit. Yeah, that sounds about right. <laughs> uh, and usually, yeah, it's just it's just totally pretty pointless and like, oh look, they're saying old timey words, but they're wearing modern clothes. Yeah, Whoa. yeah, yeah. I'm like at least uh, like rewrite the script, <laughs> like put it all in like modern yeah. modern fra- phrasing, you know. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, I, I I was inspired to rewatch it because I started reading a book called In Defense of the Terror. <laughs> What's the, the for 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 listeners at home? Uh, whose curiosity is peaked? What's the the primary argument of that that book? uh well it's sort of the the it, it, the introduction brings up this quote by uh mark twain of all people yeah where i'm badly paraphrasing but basically that like a thousand years of french aristocratic oppression it was just it's considered like just the status quo it's normal it's peaceful mm. there, there's no whatever uh turmoil um whereas those five years of 
revolution in the 1790s are considered like they're literally called the terror in yeah so many yeah countries. yeah what about the terror <laughs> like, of you know, a thousand years of aristocratic oppression that that's exactly. fucking based from mark twain i think i did know that he was a big supporter of the french revolution actually i think he was a he was oh, a pretty fair. progressive guy <laughs> for his time yeah yeah i knew he was like an atheist and a few other things but i've never heard this before it was it was cool yeah look lots Um, of progressives (laughs) like to drop the n-word in their great art (laughs) a lot (laughs) frequently uh tarantino not an unproblematic genius yeah (laughs) who else uses the n-word a lot um i'm thinking white people Jeremy Corbyn. Jeremy Corbyn is a lot <laughs> the most racist politician in British political history. Uh, uh, Stephen Stills with his famous collaboration with Jimi Hendrix, which is called White. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Hendrix, just on guitar. Lead vocal Stephen Stills singing about how he's an N word. <laughs> I guess Hen- I guess Jimmy was chill with it, you know. Uh, uh, anyway, where were where were we? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, no, ge- genuinely about, yeah, though, like Mark, Mark Twain and the Mark terror Twain's and books are, are uh, depictions of a particular time and place, and yeah, I think he was very sympathetic to uh, revolutions around the globe. Yeah, I, I I think so. I think so. That seems fair. Um, but yeah, carry on. <laughs> but this introduction that I was reading, it, it also just happened to mention that uh, Coriolanus uh, it was interesting because the play is apparently quite like nakedly fascist in the way that it's usually produced. Uh, like it's it, it's a it's a lot to do with martial aristocracy. You know, it's set in ancient Rome. So, yeah. uh, just, it's, it's about this warrior guy who gets kind of like embarrassed in, in combat and has to flee and then eventually joins the rebels who, uh, are, are trying to sack Rome or, or whatever. Um, and, and it's just, yeah, pretty raw, raw, the military kind of stuff, uh, for the most part, but like the, the film, what it does, it, it really, it does emphasize the proletarian uh, struggle for bread. Like they're mm. all like they're holding signs, like demanding that the the uh, establishment release the grain stores and uh, feed the people <laughs> and stuff. signs like uh, um, in the Atlas Shrugged films, like wealth equals greed. <laughs> <laughs> Not far off. Since I mean that's true. Yeah, it is, uh, it is actually true. Uh, And it kind of turns the story of personal shame uh, of Coriolanus uh, into more of a class-based shame where he becomes an upper-class class class traitor, kind of, and joins the revolution Mm. uh, to fight for the people because he finds that that's the only place that he can truly be free. Interesting. Comrade Rafe finds. Right. The Knight of the Realm. (laughs) <laughs> wouldn't shock me to- too much uh a is. lot of those uh theater people are aren't they yeah uh <laughs> sorry i just like i've got a double barreled name this guy's literally legitimately his actual surname is a triple barreled name <laughs> <laughs> ralph nathaniel twizzleton wickham wicker <laughs> <Yeah>. twizzle <laughs> twizzle <laughs> 
Twizzleton. Twizzleton. That is the most British aristocratic name I've ever heard. Ra- so, so, sorry, yeah, I, I didn't mean to say Ralph either. Rafe Nathaniel Twizzleton Wickendom Fines. <laughs> <laughs> that makes the Queen look like a pleb. Comrade. Comrade Rafe Nathaniel Twizzleton Wickendom Fines. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, I don't know how much of it comes, I I doubt too much of it comes from a genuine socialist uh, desire, and most of it probably comes from more of an Oscar Beatty kind of angle, Mm. but I'll take what I can, you know, and I'm not saying Coriolanus is a superb film either, it's it's got decent like cinematography it's it's filmed in a way that is not like aesthetically very different from like the hurt locker or something like that <laughs> oh you know, yeah very action-paced violence like yeah. shooting yeah so don't watch it if you hate that michael bay-esque kind of like, i know michael bay didn't do the hurt locker but still that michael bay-esque <laughs> michael bay, like, hyper bigelow what's the fucking they, they used to be married thing. right oh yeah but we no, lose. no, she was married to James no, Cameron. That's, yes, yes, that's James Cameron, the other guy I hate. Yeah, <laughs> yeah let's the director give her that, I hate. Yeah. <laughs> um, right. But yeah, that hyper coked up style during the fighting. And then there's all the like long soliloquies and shit, which is a bit different. But it's a unique film, I would say. It's a lot more than I originally gave it credit for, I think. I don't think it's just Romeo plus Juliet, but with Coriolanus. Um, and I, I've, I've never seen the Lawrence Fishburne Othello, but uh, yeah. I can't compare. Meh. Fair enough. Just standard. Like, <laughs> Which is a shame, because I, I like Othello. I think I it like might be one of Lawrence my favorite Fishburne plays. as well, you know. Uh, now, I, yeah. I, again, I, when, I, when it comes to Othello, I want Orson Welles. I want maximum blackface. I want, <laughs> <laughs> I want all the boot polish. Lawrence Olivier yeah. as Othello, uh, yes. Yes, yes, yes. Uh, I, want, uh, I want only white men. Now, Lawrence Fishburne is, is, <laughs> is really good as Othello, but uh, I, I, I just think it's not a very interesting it film. And, yeah. And, uh, whereas the Orson <laughs> Welles one, for all, it, all its uh, blackfacey flaws, certainly is an interesting film, which can be said for, of course, all of Orson Welles' films. Although we, we mentioned <laughs> um, uh, Hail Caesar earlier. Joel Cohen mm-hmm. actually just made his first solo joint, which was called The Tragedy of Macbeth. Is an adaptation of Othello. No, it's obviously uh, an adaptation <laughs> of Macbeth. Uh, with uh, uh. it's uh, it's actually it's in, it's reverse to the uh, the Wells dichotomy of a, a black actor, sorry, a white actor playing uh, an originally black character. Although I guess no, actually, sorry, because because Denzel Washington is not doing the, the tragedy of Beth in white face, so it's not it's not really an inversion of the situation. Uh, my bad there, but yeah, Denzel. I'd like to see Denzel and Macbeth again. I thought it just. I saw. I I heard about it. and I thought this looks kind of like Coriolanus, which again I haven't seen, but I thought looked interesting. So maybe I'll watch that at some point yeah i'm definitely down for watching a either of the coen brothers yeah ethan has, that's like ethan has got his first solo joint lined up as well actually um the comedy apparently but i i don't know much about it but yeah it's a bit i'm a bit worried i do want them to work together uh and you know as an oasis fan yeah they're a great team 
I, I'm traumatized by the idea that two brothers who w- just go together, <laughs> make such wonderful art, might just be like, we're not doing this anymore. Like, I've been there before. I don't want to be there. Joel and Ethan, I hope you can patch it up if there's been some kind of conflagration <laughs> within the Cohen clan. Yeah, hopefully they just wanted to, like, they're like, we're getting older, let's just make a couple movies on our own. Yeah, I mean, actually, Ethan's past solo work bodes pretty well for that, because he uh, he wrote this book called Gates of Eden, which is really funny, actually. I've mentioned this before, and I gave it, like, the worst kind of review possible for 2022, but it's the only thing I can think of to compare it to, um... But it kind of reminds me of the books that Woody Allen used to write that are just these, like, you know, kind of ragtag collections of witty little short stories and scripts and so on. Um, but you can, like, read the Ethan Cohen one and, like, not yeah. have a thing in the back of your mind, you know? But, um, but it's, it, but, yeah, but it's just got all, it's literally. It is very similar to most Woody Allen books because he, like, does parodies of the same kind of genres and stuff, like detective fiction and shit. Um, <laughs> but Gates of Cohen by Ethan Cohen. Gates of Cohen. Gates of Eden is in the Bob Dylan song by, by Ethan Cohen. Good book. Very funny. You can just flip through it and find a short story or a, or a script that uh, takes your fancy. Um, don't think he's written anymore. Uh, any more books but like there's a couple of like plays and stuff that either Ethan or the Coen brothers together uh, have done that I think you can like find online and stuff that are kind of interesting like side projects for them um yeah cool but yeah like I, I look forward to them uh I, I thought the, la- the Ballad of Buster Scruggs was, was pretty good but I, I don't want it to be their last film yeah I, I hear you there. Yeah. Anything else you wanted to get in there? Nothing that has to be said now. I can wait. Yeah, I think I've said all my stuff I want to say for now, actually. So, yeah, man, it's been uh, been good to talk. Maybe we'll do another, um, another RP radio thing soon. That would be fun to play some more tunes on there. Oh, yeah, those are always good fun. Nice one. <laughs> this is wild. Ethan has got a documentary about Jerry Lee Lewis coming out next year. Hopefully, it's called Trouble oh, nice. in Mind. Probably, hopefully, it like blows the whistle once and for all on how he murdered one of his wives. Um, <laughs> looking forward to that. Um, yeah, man. Let yeah, let's let's wrap it up then. Hey, Mr. Uh, yeah. There we go. Easy, easy. Don't lose sight. Ready? Two. Three and now. Yeah. Yeah. Check it out. Cheeto. Here I go, an angry brother finna make his move. Looking to buck him in the city, so I never lose. See, I'ma get him in the crowd with a couple heavies. And lay the barrel to the ground, hold the gat steady. And now I'm ready.
ready for my adversary talk is cheap I'm looking for a way to make a play and keep it neat And check it out and make a ride and pick a rooftop And get a spot where the view's hot, set up shop Cause all I wanna see is motherfucking brains hanging Another level when it's me and Devil's gang banging So don't be telling me to get the non-violent spirit Cause when I'm violent is the only time your devils hear it Rat-a-tat, go to Gap to his devil face I hope he think of how we done us when he laid a waste And get the feeling of the peeling from the other side From guns given to my people for my own kind So get with Ollie cause I'm probably finna make you mad I'm steady waiting for the day I get to see his ass And give him two from the barrel of a black gorilla And that's real from the motherfucking bush killer <laughs> I understand that time is running out. Now who is able to make war with the beast? It starts with P, trumpet sound when I push the program and set my sight on a serpent man. Swinging the sword of the righteous, make devils drop and they just can't spike this genocide in the minds of men make. Brothers like me fill up with hate. I smell a skunk in the air, cause your program still ain't fair. So who you wanna blame for the hate that hate made when P led off and pigs get sprayed? Y'all wanna kill off the black man, but I know your master plan. So we'll see who stopped the black gorilla. P-Dog the Bush Killer.